0: kind of interesting to think about shoes made out of tires and milk cartons Uh, might make us reconsider the economic challenges that we are supposedly facing, I guess. Blessing. From the very beginning, God has expected that His people be a blessing. To bless, according to Webster, is to bestow favor uh, to to make another happy or, or prosperous. So, so I, I would suggest the opposite of being a, a blessing, the opposite of bestowing is, is keeping, hoarding, uh, being self-focused or self-absorbed. But God has always expected that His people lead the way in bestowing favor on others, making others Happy and prosperous. For, for example, he told Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12 when he first called him, he, he said, This, go, Adam, go, or Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house to the land I'll show you, the, the land of Palestine, the land of promise, and, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I, I will show favor on you. I'm going to make your name great. And, and then you shall be a a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and and in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Notice the number of times that God uses the word bless or blessing. He's going to bestow bestow favor or, or bless Abraham. And then Abraham, in turn, is going to be a blessing, one who bestows favor on others. God will bless those who bless Abraham, and ultimately, all of the families of the world uh, will be blessed, um, shown favor through Abraham. Of course, we know that last promise uh, uh, comes through a descendant of Abraham named Jesus. Peter, in his in in one of the first messages uh, of the Christian church, makes that connection for us, connects the dots in Acts chapter 3. It it is you, Jews, who are the sons of the prophets and the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's that quote from from Genesis 12. For you first... Jews, God raised up His servant, that's straight from Isaiah, and sent Him to bless you, to to bestow divine favor on you, and this is how He did it, by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. The descendant of Abraham, named Jesus, would be a blessing to, well, to His people by turning them from their wicked ways. But this promise of spiritual blessing was not just for the physical descendants uh, of Abraham. Paul takes it further because we read in, in Galatians chapter 3, the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify, that means save, the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. And then he quotes it. All the nations will be blessed in you, Genesis Chapter 12, that's the gospel. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And so, my premise this morning is that God expects His people to be a blessing to the world primarily by sharing or by bestowing the gospel of Jesus Christ on others. Not hoarding it, not keeping it to ourselves, not being self absorbed, but by being others absorbed, others focused, especially through the gospel of His Son. We said this is our fourth and final week in our our series on on life groups. Life groups, you know, is the new name for our small group ministry, and we've had this intentional focus on life groups because we believe that they should be central uh, to the ministries of our church vital to both our spiritual and, we're going to see this morning, to our numerical growth. Glenn introduced the, the series by, by talking about the importance of living life together as followers of, of Jesus Christ, and he introduced three key words that, that Andy just um, reviewed for us to help describe the purposes of our life groups. Uh, belong, which describes intent. Uh, intentional gospel community, to become, looked at last week, which describes intentional gospel growth, and this morning, bless, which describes intentional gospel mission. Again, we've already talked about the first two. To belong is what everyone wants, indeed what everyone needs, to love and, and be loved, to, to belong somewhere. God made us that way. He created us to be in relationship. So, when God saves us through the gospel, he saves us into community, gospel community, so that we don't have to be alone. We have the glorious joy of being part of a community of believers who live life, the life of the gospel together. We have the privilege of belonging to a family. And part of being a family is actually growing up together. And we are all growing toward the same goal, Uh, along obedience in the same direction, Uh, being transformed into the image of Christ. And so through our life groups, uh, as we we meet together and live life together, we encourage one another in the truths of the Word of God. And you remember that I, I said last week that in... In order for us to be transformed by the Word of God, there are four things that must happen. First, the Bible must be articulated. That is, the Bible must be communicated. Second, it must be assimilated. In other words, it, it's not just heard, but it needs to be understood. Third, then having been understood, we're not just trying to get smarter, it needs to be applied. And then, and then fourth, there must be accountability. And I suggested that there's perhaps no greater place for that transformation in the Bible uh, through the Word of God to take place than through our life groups. But, 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 but please notice, up to this point, our discussion about life groups has primarily been focused inward. Nothing wrong with that. God wants us to be involved in intentional community. He wants us to be involved in intentional... Um, gospel growth uh, toward Christ, but we dare not stop there. The third purpose uh, of life group ministry is, as as Andy said, is to bless, which describes our gospel mission. And, and we remember that the word bless is to bestow favor on others. Now, that, that is certainly going to happen um, in and through our, uh, or within our life groups. Those of you who have been involved in in small groups know exactly what I'm talking about. As we live life together, those with whom we are closest are there to help when we need it most. Uh, whether, it's, whether it's moving or, 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 or sharing child care or, or providing meals or, or caring for one another during illness. Maybe going to a good movie together or a good game together. And, and of course, there's always going to be that mutual ministry of of prayer, holding each other up before the throne of grace. As we live life together, we're going to be ministering, caring for each other. That's a right and proper thing. I received an email from Ken and Jen Grano when they heard that we were doing this series and and they gave me actually freedom to share um, from it. In part, this is what they said said, we struggled a little in the beginning to find a small group. Uh, The one we were connected to seemed to meet on days when we were out of town. And after several attempts, we agreed that perhaps God was telling us that wasn't the group for us. I believe that was, in fact, the case as the group we ended up with, the Browns, Michael Michelle Brown, uh, was indeed the best place for us. God provided a safe haven for us in that group a place where we were welcomed, a place where we felt included and and clicked quickly with everyone in the group. Our new friends quickly became our family, and they were there for us countless times during the many trials we faced. Words cannot express the gratitude and love we feel for our family. They truly demonstrated Christ's love to us in a time when we needed it most. Now, I actually shared the first part of that, could have, could have cut that out, but I shared the first part of that to encourage you not to become discouraged. Maybe you try out a life group and it doesn't work for you, that's fine, try again. And we, we find that through those life groups we can, we can bless each other. We might even be able to bless the broader church family through this ministry, Lots of different ways that we can do that. Maybe adopting another ministry in the church. You you heard about it this morning. Maybe uh, your life group deciding to adopt children's ministry, taking a certain Sunday each month so that you can serve together. Maybe showing up this Sunday uh, uh, during uh, the church work day and, 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 and tackling a room together. Um, as you heard from from Andy, he and I didn't talk about this, but I had this in my notes: that that, that small group that decided to minister to, to the Freedom Farm guys. There are lots of ways that a life group uh, can bless the the larger church family. But now, here, here's my question: is, is that it? Are life groups intended to just be for us? Is it is it are they intended just to be a place for us to belong? to to live in community, to love and and be loved, all great stuff, a place to grow in the gospel, a place to serve and be served as we bless or, or bestow favor on one another? Is that it? I want to suggest this morning that life groups can provide one of the best opportunities to reach those in need, to reach those outside the church, To even reach non believers, those who are not yet part of our family. It's our responsibility and ought to be our desire to do two things for those outside the body of Christ as we seek to bless them. Two things we ought to do. First, we should seek to relieve the misery of those around us, that's mercy. God expects us to be people of mercy, taking care of the poor, taking care of those in need, seeking justice, being a voice for the oppressed, things like that. The the church should lead the way in doing that. And I'm not even talking about politics. I'm talking about our responsibility as followers of Christ to make a difference as it relates to mercy in the world. And we can do that um, for example, as you heard the examples uh, this morning, by serving at the hospitality house, maybe building a, an orphanage in Nigeria, or, or sending shoes through Soul Hope, serving with Samaritan's Purse, uh, uh, giving to Samaritan's Purse to, to help in disaster areas, feeding refugees in Sudan. Lots of ways that we can show mercy. But the second thing that that we have a responsibility to do toward those outside the church, it's a very obvious one, is to see those around us join us in a commitment to Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. Scripture clearly teaches that He is it. And if we believe that He is the only way, truth, and the life, then we should do all that we can to urge others to join us In the community trip to heaven, our family life should be so contagious, so compelling, even confrontational, so loving, so real, so inviting, so different that people observing us want to become a part of what we are. Now, most of us understand that evangelism is, is part of our responsibility. We know the verses. Um, I, I, I've taught on these verses before. Here are a, a few of the normal ones that, uh, that that we have. We could have read I, I could have read from 2 Corinthians chapter five, but Matthew twenty eight, Jesus' last words um, to the church that we call the Great Commission. I've told you before, it's not the Great Suggestion; it's the Great Commission. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And here, here's the first thing I'm going to do with that authority that is mine. I'm going to give you a command. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them everything. And I'll be with you along the way. Luke chapter 24, his last words to his disciples in that particular gospel. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all nations, notice, beginning from Jerusalem. In other words, beginning where you live, we share the gospel here and we take it around the world. Truth is, God is an evangelistic God. We've all heard that before. He sent His Son to reach us. He expects us, in turn, to reach others. John chapter 20. Peace be Uh, With you, as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I also send you. One more for good measure, his last words to his disciples uh, before the ascension in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and the Holy Spirit has come. You'll be my witnesses. Notice the progression. Jerusalem, where we live, Judea, Samaria, the high country, North Carolina, even to the remotest part of the earth. We get it. It's our responsibility to share the gospel, and it needs to start right here. Many of us are are aware of lots of different evangelistic strategies. There have been lots of good ones through the years, confrontive or aggressive evangelism, like I used to be involved in, or in the early days of my ministry, door-to-door visitation or even street preaching. Um... Evangelism explosion, lifestyle evangelism, Easter outreaches, judgment houses, kindness outreaches. Those don't sound like they go together. Evangelistic crusades. We understand that while the message never changes, that is the gospel, the good news about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that never changes. Methods, methods come and go. So here's my question. What would... What is it the best method for evangelism today? Now, this is going to come as a bit of a shock, but I want to suggest that life groups is at least one of the best. Why do I say this? Well, I've got biblical support. Jesus said things like this. John 13. You know this verse. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I loved you. Love one another. By this... By your love for each other, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Here's my question. How will they see our love for one another if they don't spend any time with us? Jesus said further in Matthew 5, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's an interesting verse. It's always been an interesting verse to me. How is it that seeing our good works causes them to glorify God? What does that mean? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, that is unbelievers, so that in the thing in which they slander you, even slander you for being good people, They may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's a little odd at the end. What is this day of visitation? I am not alone in this. Others believe it's the day that He visits them with the gospel of salvation. They, having seen our good works, our changed lives, our love for one another, the day that He visits them by His Holy Spirit, they go, yes, I like what I've seen. I like the results of the gospel. Here's my point. In order for non-believing people to see our love for one another and our good works, they must spend time with us. We must resist the urge to always be a holy huddle, to only go from Christian event to Christian event, from Sunday morning worship to life groups that are only for Christians. Now, they, non-believers, can see a certain degree of our love and and good works if they come on Sunday mornings and, and watch us worship, watch us fellowship, and watch us learn. But in order for them to see what the granos, for example, talked about earlier, in order for them to see real mutual love and life, they will see it best in our interactions in our homes. I have something for you to consider that I think illustrates this, this, this point well. This is a beautiful church building, pretty, as is this. And this. This is a beautiful home. It's the one we left in Colorado Springs. I'm I'm kidding. Um, As is this. Uh, And this. Now, studies have been shown that people are more likely to respond to an invitation to visit this than this. Isn't that amazing? This is going to spend, uh, cost us several million dollars to build. This, about a hundred thousand. So, why would people be more likely to visit this than this? And all of that's going to make a lot of people uh, uh, sense to a lot of people listening by podcast. What is the difference? between a beautiful, functional church building and a beautiful, functional home? I want to suggest the answer is very simply people. People in relationship. Belonging, becoming, and blessing make all the difference in the world. You see, it used to be in somewhat Christian America that there was one big door into the the church, first church we looked at. One big door into the church, the front door. The church expected nonbelievers to flow through the front doors of their local church, get saved, you know, listen to an evangelistic message, listen to an altar call, get saved and join the family. And I suppose that that still works to some degree. But what would it look like if we multiplied the number of doorways into the church of Jesus Christ, and instead of one big front door, which, by the way, many won't even use today, what if we had many small doors surrounding the church and our community, and people entered the church of Jesus Christ through our living rooms and our life groups? I I want you to know, already proven, this is much more effective. Wouldn't it make more sense for them to come to faith in Jesus Christ in your living room, in community, than to expect me to preach a salvation message followed by an altar call every week? I remember when Franklin Graham had his High Country Festival 2000 here at, at ASU. Uh, many of you were, were here then, about 12 years ago. Um, hundreds of people, maybe um, thousands of us, went through a lot of training to pull that event off. A, 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 a festival, by the way, is, a, is the modern name for an evangelistic Crusade. Now, I used to think, bring a big name like Billy or Franklin into town, throw up a tent or rent a stadium or a coliseum preach the gospel, and thousands will respond. That's the way it works. Well, I found out through this training that is not how it works. As I recall, I think my numbers are correct, over 90% of the people who respond at such evangelistic crusades were invited by a friend, a personal friend, or a family member. They didn't just show up. Oh, Billy's here. I think I'll go listen to him preach. They didn't just show up. There was a relationship that already existed. So, as we close, I want you to think about it. In what way is the church of Jesus Christ, let's be more specific, in what way is this church involved in evangelism? I want you to understand that we believe that the church gathers not to listen to me preaching Evangelistic messages. The church gathers on Sunday mornings primarily for worship, fellowship, prayer, discipleship, all of those other reasons for which the ch- good reasons for which the church exists. But not, we don't gather for Sunday mornings primarily for evangelism. It is as we go out from here that we, among other things, do evangelism. Now, that's not to say that people won't get saved on Sunday mornings. 1 Corinthians 14 makes that clear. But it is as we go out and, and, and gather and, and, and people see our love for one another and, and they see us caring for one another that that becomes Attractive. It doesn't mean that when we go out, other things like fellowship, nurture, discipleship, prayer won't happen either in our life groups. Of course they will. That's what we talked about the last couple of weeks. But how are we doing in evangelism? How are we doing sharing some good news with people we work with and and, and serve with and live with in our neighborhoods? Don't just look at life groups as yet another way for us to bless one another. Look at them as a way to bless those outside the church. And it can come in, in in many ways, the way that Andy described. As you take a specific time, maybe once a month or something like that, where you intentionally decide we are going to go bless our world. I want to encourage us. To allow non-believers to see our love for one another, our care for one another, our good works. I want to encourage us to make our life groups a wonderful doorway into the church through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us.